It's time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions, because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Greetings, my friends. How are you today on this September 11th, 2022? Um, Obviously, uh, September 11th every year is a solemn day, and uh, 21 years since September 11th. Uh, we'll talk about that later in the program. Uh, the Queen is dead. And that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> I don't really care. Uh, as the world comes to a stop uh, because uh, a 96-year-old uh, queen dies. Uh, and they are totally despondent in uh, England over this. Uh, so we have to endure two weeks of pomp and circumstance over there as they bury the queen and coronation of King Charles III. You know, he must have <laughs> I've been telling everybody this. I said he must have said finally that that that, that old Diddy finally died. I've been waiting seventy years, fifty years. He goes, she finally died. Thank God, I didn't think she was ever going to die. And sure, I'm seventy four years old. I'm going to be king for five years, right? Uh, then William will be king for fifty, sixty, seventy years. I'm getting the short end of the stick here, mom. Anyway, <laughs> uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the program. So how are you doing today, Paul? I'm doing good, Lou. I'm on vacation, so I'm doing really good. I'm officially on vacation for the next two weeks. Leave this afternoon for Italy uh, and spending 12 days in Italy. And uh, I'm doing my research on what's going on in Europe. We'll talk about Europe later with the energy crisis and the food crisis and the everything that's going on there. So I'm going to do research, uh, which means I should be able to deduct the cost of my trip. As an accountant, I think I could do that. Uh, I am doing research uh, for this radio show. Uh, so I, I, I think maybe I'll be able to deduct all my expenses in Italy. We'll see. You might need an assistant. <laughs> you want to come? <laughs> you want to chronicle things? Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, it's been a long. It's been three years since we, my wife and I have been to Italy. That's our favorite place. I mean, we, we've been there. This is our eighth trip uh, to Italy, so we're looking forward uh, to going. We leave this afternoon, so it's uh, exciting uh, to finally, after COVID, be able to go on vacation and and, and go to Europe. Uh, my wife and I love Europe, especially Italy, and, and look forward to that. All right, each week we get together. If you're listening live, seven to nine here on ninety-two point seven WOBM, we talk money, markets, politics, current events, and virtually anything that affects your life. Seven three two two three seven nine six two six is the call number. Seven three two two three seven nine six two six. If you want to be part of the program, now um, let's start off the program uh, talking about the Federal Reserve. There's a lot of talk about the Federal Reserve now. Because they're raising interest rates, they caused inflation, now they're trying to battle inflation, and they got a lot of power. And a lot of people are starting to realize the power that the Federal Reserve has over us. And the Federal Reserve is the central bank of the country. Now, Thomas Jefferson was adamant about having a central bank against it. 
He thought it would give too much power to unelected people. And boy, was he right. He was right. So what is the Federal Reserve? I want to spend some time and I want to educate you on what it is, how it works, how I believe it's unconstitutional and the power it has over us and and what they're doing now and what I think they're going to continue to do. So uh, the Federal Reserve is the Central Bank of the United States, also known as the Fed in short. And it is in charge of a number of things. Monetary policy. What's monetary policy? Monetary policy is interest rates. They control what's called the federal funds rate, which we'll get into in a second. Uh, They uh, supervise and regulate the banking system. Uh, They regulate uh, financial institutions. They try to ensure the stability of financial markets. But they have a dual mandate. There's something called the dual mandate. What's their job? Well, their main job is to control inflation and to uh, have maximum employment. And they do that through their monetary policy, which gives them a lot of power. So say the economy is bad. We're in a recession. Things aren't going good. Well, typically, the Federal Reserve would lower interest rates. By lowering interest rates, that's an accommodated policy, they call it. There's a lot of terms you'll hear on financial news and stuff. Uh, They're accommodative. They're restrictive. Accommodative means they're keeping interest rates low. They're printing money. There's a lot of money flowing around. Businesses are expanding. They're hiring people. People are buying homes because mortgage rates are low. Uh, And it stimulates economic growth. That's what lowering interest rates does. Now, the opposite is true. When you have too much economic growth, you have too low unemployment, you have inflation. And also quantitative easing, which is another thing we'll get into in a second. So, you know, they, they, they put the pedal to the metal for a very long time. After the crisis of 2008, they brought interest rates to zero. And they kept it there until 2019, 2018, 2019. They started raising rates. COVID hit. They reversed themselves. They brought it back down to zero for the longest time. They printed $120 billion a month. They financed uh, the government's stimulus packages, trillions and trillions of dollars. And I was warning on this program two years ago that a major inflation problem was coming. And I didn't say that because I'm a genius. You don't have to be a genius to know that. What you have to do is be a historian and read economic history. You can't create money out of thin air to the proportions that we did without the equal amount of economic growth. If you do that, it results in inflation every time. And that's the thing that's so mind-numbing about this is that this inflation was avoidable. Easily avoidable. The Fed knew that what they were doing. Now, you would think uh, of any institution, the Federal Reserve has access to the best economists and everything else that know this stuff. But maybe there was no choice at the time. So they create this monster inflation that we haven't seen in 50 years. And now they got to slay this monster. And the way they slay it is by raising interest rates and destroying the economy, destroying demand, destroying housing prices, destroying people's ability to make a living. 
and they're hell-bent on, com- uh, on continuing that. So there's three entities that make up the Federal Reserve. First of all, the Federal Reserve came into effect in 1913 uh, through the Federal Reserve Act. Now, before the Federal Reserve, we had many, many financial crashes. Bank, banks collapsing. There was a big, um, a big uh, crash in 1907. It was called the Bank Panic of 1907. Uh, where a major financial institution on Wall Street failed, kind of like Lehman Brothers, and uh, and the system was imploding. People were running on banks. There was no central bank to inject money into the system. So J.P. Morgan, the J.P. Morgan, not the bank, it was his bank, but J.P. Morgan himself uh, uh, got uh, some very rich billionaires and himself to f- to put money into the system to save it. And he did. Because at that point, uh, uh, the economy is ready to crash uh, and we were going into a depression. So J.P. Morgan was able to to bring um, all these big guys to his mansion and command all their capital to flood the system and bail the banks out. And uh, he continued to do so until the panic passed. Now, I'm sure he profited very wisely, very nicely from it. Uh, he probably owned all the shares in these banks that he just bailed out. So uh, there was concern that, well, maybe the United States needs a central bank. Now, this is not the first. The Fed was not the first central bank the United States had. We tried it with the National Bank of the United States, uh, and, and, and that lasted like 10 years, and then that had to be shut down. It wasn't working. Um, but the Federal Reserve Act... Um, signed into law by President Woodrow Wilson, uh, gave the 12 Federal Reserve Banks the ability to print money and ensure economic stability. Now, how did this come about? Well, it came about because the banks who own the Federal Reserve backed Woodrow Wilson. They knew that he was for this, and they funded him. And they knew that once he won, that he would sign this. Now, um, Senator Nelson Aldrich, which was the maternal uh, 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 grandfather of the Rockefellers, uh, he was a senator, and and he got other senators. He brought them together. You heard about the creature from Jekyll Island, where they all met on Jekyll Island to put together this thing, the, the Federal Reserve. Well, the Federal Reserve Act was passed. December 23rd of 1913. Now, now, why is that date interesting? That date is two days before Christmas. Now, in 1913, it wasn't that easy to get home from Washington, D.C. You didn't hop on a plane and went home in two hours. You took trains and everything else. It took days to get home. So half of Congress was gone for the holidays. And the Senate pushed it through on the eve of Christmas Eve, with less than uh, two-thirds of Congress present, or at least the Senate. And that's how it came about. Woodrow Wilson signed it, and now we transferred the ability to create money from the United States Treasury to an unelected group of bankers. And the way it was sold to us was, well, they'll be able to stabilize the economy, keep the banks from going under. FDIC was created. 
uh, to insure the banks. And uh, all is good. Now, there's debate and there's been lawsuits. Is this constitutional? Because the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution clearly states that Congress should have the power to coin or create money and regulate the value thereof. It's very, very plain. But today, or since 1913, the Fed, which is a privately owned company, it is not part of the U.S. government. They want you to believe that it's like an agency of the U.S. It's not. It's a total lie. The, the Fed is not part of the U.S. government. Uh, no more than Federal Express is. Is Federal Express the nation's uh, shipping company? No, of course not. Well, the Federal Reserve is not the U.S. government. The U.S. government has very little control or effect over the Federal Reserve. The president nominates the chairman. There's 12 board of governors that rotate. uh, And every two years, the president can nominate a new governor. And they're staggered every two years. They're on for 14 years, I believe, or 12 years. And uh, they stagger them so no one administration could stack the Federal Reserve. And that's the thing. The Federal Reserve, you know, could be politicized. And they say, well, it's independent. It's not politicized. It is politicized. I'll tell you, there's so many instances. Go back to Richard Nixon brought in uh, uh, the head of the Federal Reserve and demanded that, that, that he lower interest rates going into the election. And, and they capitulate. Who actually owns the Federal Reserve? Well, the ownership of um, of the central bank and central banks around the world is a very well-kept secret, but it has been revealed, and I'm going to reveal it to you. This is who owns the Federal Reserve. Rothschild Bank of London. Why would a foreign country own part of our central bank and have influence over it? Well, they're not the only one. The Warburg Bank of Hamburg, Germany. The Rothschild Bank of Berlin. Well, before its demise, Lehman Brothers uh, was an owner of it. Well, they're gone now. Lazard Brothers of Paris. Kuhn Loeb Bank of New York. Israel Moses Seif Banks of Italy. Goldman Sachs, New York. Warburg Bank of Amsterdam. Chase Manhattan Bank of New York. So these banks, as you can see, half of them are European. And, and these bankers are connected to the London banking houses, which ultimately control the Fed. So England lost the Revolutionary War with us. Um, and now they're controlling us through our banking system over the years. Isn't that interesting? So uh, the Federal Reserve is at the behest of the banks. They do not work for the people. The Federal Reserve works for the banks that own them and do everything they can to enrich those banks. And if you go back in history, Presidents Lincoln, Jackson, Kennedy tried to stop these central bankers by printing U.S. dollars 
outside of the Fed, through the Treasury. What happened to these people? <laughs> uh, yeah, ask John F. Kennedy. He was very anti-Fed. And uh, you don't mess with the bankers. Money is power. Remember that. You know, the Fed's books aren't open to the public. Congress has yet, since 1913, yet audited it. So they have a lot of power. They're very independent. Um, they usurp the government of the United States, the role of the United States, to, uh, and they control everything here. And there's um, there's no men, there's no body, body of men more entrenched in power than this arrogant credit monopoly, which is the Federal Reserve and the Federal Reserve Bank's. These criminals have robbed this country of more than enough money to pay the national debt to zero. They've robbed it. The government of the United States permitted the Federal Reserve Board to steal from the people of this country. And they still do. Think about it. It must be nice to be able to print money. If you or I did it, we'd go to jail. But the Fed is the biggest counterfeiting operation the world has ever seen. Oh, and by the way, the people who enacted the Fed uh, shortly thereafter started the IRS a few months later. So the government had to create an income tax to pay the interest expense to the Fed shareholders of the debt that they were creating. By the way, the... The income, tax, the income tax was never legally passed. That's a whole other segment to talk about later on. It was never legally passed. Um, there's an old quote from Amschel Rothschild. Again, his bloodline controls the Fed. The Rothschilds are in everything. His quote was, allow me to control the issue and the nation's money. And I care not who makes its laws. And he's right. There's more power in the control of the money of the country uh, than it is uh, legislators. He went on to say, for if one unscrupulous group is allowed to print the nation's money, it could eventually use that money to gain control of the press and the politicians and thus gain control of, the, of making the nation's laws and finally control the nation itself. Wow, that's Rothschild telling you that. And that's exactly what's happened. Um, ben Franklin said in his autobiography uh, that the inability of the colonists to get the power to issue their own money permanently out of the hands of George III and the international bankers was one of the prime reasons for the Revolutionary War. Thomas Jefferson said, quote, I believe that the I believe that banking institutions are more dangerous to our liberties than standing armies. Already they've raised up a money aristocracy. That has set the government at defiance. 
The issuing power of money, he said, should be taken from the banks and restored to the people to whom it properly belongs. And at the time, he's talking about the Bank of England. He also uh, later said, if the American people ever allow private banks to control the issue of currency, first by inflation and then by deflation, the banks and corporations that will grow up around them will deprive the people of all property until the children will wake up homeless on the continent their fathers conquered. Charles Lindbergh, he became a congressman after his flight. Uh, Charles Lindbergh, Congressman Charles Lindbergh of Minnesota said, quote, the Federal Reserve Act establishes the most gigantic trust on earth. When uh, President Wilson signs this bill, the invisible government of the monetary power will be legalized. The worst legislative crime of the ages perpetrated, perpetrated by this banking and currency bill. So you can see back in the day, we were being warned about that. Even Napoleon, a sympathizer for international bankers, he turned against them in the last years of his rule. He said, quote, when a government is dependent upon bankers for money, they and not the leaders of the government control the situation. Since the hand that gives is above the hand that takes money has no motherland. Financiers are without patriotism and without decency. Their sole object is gain. So uh, you could see the controversy about the Federal Reserve. And it goes on today. And they have total power over us. Now, you, now, they've been uh, very aggressive in raising interest rates. After causing the, reset, uh, the inflation that we're living through now, through quantitative easing, $120 billion a month of printing money, I mean, how did they think this wasn't going to wind up with inflation? And now they are... Uh, aggressively raising interest rates and will continue to do so. Uh, the Fed met this. They didn't meet this week. They meet. Um, the next meeting is uh, September 20th to 21st, and they're definitely going to raise rates. Then they meet November 1st and 2nd, and then they meet December 13th and 14th. Um, they, they, they meet eight times per year. And if they need be, they, they have emergency meetings. And... Uh, Fed governors in between meetings, they do a lot of speeches. These people are very um, uh, 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 wanted, you know, at, at conferences and so forth. I mean, let's face it, they're some of the most powerful financiers in the world as part of the Federal Reserve. So to have a Fed governor come to your bankers association meeting and, and give a speech, big deal. And they're always doing that. And the markets and Wall Street and financial news, we always listen to what these people have to say. Because they're voting members of the Federal Reserve. I mean, they're going to be in that, in that meeting on, on September 20th and 21st, and they're going to make a decision on interest rates and, uh, and what's going forward. 
So you want to hear what they have to say because it's indicative of what the Fed is going to do or predictive. And this week, no less than five or six Fed governors came out and all of them were hawkish. That's another term that's used when we talk about the Federal Reserve. You know, accommodative monetary uh, policy, restrictive monetary policy, hawkish versus dovish. Hawkish means higher interest rates, damn the economy, we're going to battle inflation. And markets don't like hawkish statements or a hawkish Fed or a restrictive Fed. Because it's that it's that it's that free flowing money, that money that's being printed every month that goes to Wall Street, that buys stocks, that buys bonds, it pushes asset prices up. And we've seen that over the last few years. We've seen major stock market increases because that money found a home in the stock market. Even though we were going through one of the worst recessions ever, even though we were going through a pandemic where businesses were shutting down, sixty million people went to unemployment, the market was going up. After a short-lived crash. Because of the accommodative, dovish monetary policy of the Fed, the printing of money, the stimulus, everything that was going into the economy. And that money found its way into housing. That's why we saw this rapid increase. That's inflation. We saw inflation in the stock market. We even saw inflation in the bond market as yields continued to drop. And this sowed the seeds of the inflation that we're dealing with today. Now, the inflation we're dealing with today is is twofold. It's monetary inflation and it's supply chain, uh, chain inflation. Now, the Fed can only affect the monetary part of it. They could they could kill demand by raising interest rates and mortgage rates go up so you don't go buy a house, housing prices go down, people stop spending money, businesses stop expanding, um, they start laying people off. All these things kill demand. And we're starting to see it in, in um, gasoline prices. I came in today, 375 was the um, price per gallon, it's the lowest it's been in a while, still high compared to where it was a couple of years ago, but not $5. Why is it going down? Because people are driving less. People can't afford filling up their car every week for $70, $80, $90, both husband and wife. So they're cutting back their driving as much as they possibly can, which means less fill-ups, less demand. Economics 101. But inflation is still high. This coming week, we'll get the CPI and the PPI. Uh, we'll see what that looks like. My guess is it won't be terribly bad because of the decline in energy prices that we, we continue to see here. Meanwhile, everything else is still going up, groceries, uh, meat, grain. But the Fed can only affect inflation to a certain extent because of two other factors, the supply chain issue. If you're just not getting stuff in, the price of it's going to stay high. I don't care where the Fed puts interest rates. If you have food shortages, and we'll talk about that later. I mean, you know, we're going to have major food shortages around the world due to crop failures, supply chain issues, the war in Ukraine. 
We're starting to see it already. The UN's warning, warning of major famines, plural, around the world, especially in poorer countries that aren't going to be able to get grain and rice and things like that. No, no central bank in the world is going to change that. It's not going to make magically, you know, a 40% decline in rice production reverse itself. You can't do that with monetary policy. Also, you have this little pesky thing, which is called the budget deficit of the U.S. government. If we have a budget deficit, we have to borrow more money. Nobody's buying our bonds because nobody wants them. So the Federal Reserve monetizes it. It has to print money to buy our debt. So no matter what they do with interest rates, they're still going to be creating money as the buyer of last resort of our budget deficit. And just recently, I mean, Congress does not stop spending money. That's what they do. That's what they live for. And they just passed the quote-unquote Inflation Reduction Act that spent $700 billion on Green New Deal garbage. It isn't going to work, but it's inflationary. It does the opposite of what the act says it's going to do. It's the Green New Deal. That's what it is, but that doesn't sell, so they change it to the Inflation Reduction Act. Oh, inflation's bad. I want it reduced. And the lemmings think that, oh, yeah, inflation reduction act sounds good. Trust me, it's the opposite. Every one of these acts that Congress puts out, whatever the act is called, just reverse it. It's the Inflation Acceleration Act. Now, uh, Goldman Sachs uh, came out this week and they lifted their forecast for the pace of interest rate hikes by the Federal Reserve. The, uh, Goldman expects the Fed to hike uh, 75 basis points this month, 50 basis points in November, up from the previous forecast of 50 basis points in September, and 25 basis points in November. And now they're saying uh, 25 basis points in December. So that's 1.5% additional interest rate hike um, between now and the end of the year. And we're at two and a half now. So that brings us to 4%. I don't think these markets can handle that. I don't think this economy can handle that. So it's a scorched earth policy. And uh, statements by Federal Reserve Chairman Powell and the governors, they are hell-bent on destroying inflation at any cost. And a couple of weeks ago, you know, the Fed chairman came out and said that uh, Americans have to be prepared for pain to get through this. See how much power the Federal Reserve has? They have power to give you pain. Businesses and and, and families alike. Now, um, ex-Fed vice chairman Rich uh, Clarita was on CNBC this week. And now he's the ex-Fed chair, vice chair. I mean, second in command of the Federal Reserve. So when he talks, you got to listen to what he's saying. First of all, he talks to all his friends at the Federal Reserve, so he knows what they're doing. And this is what he had to say about the Fed going forward. On the one hand, the Fed says they're data dependent. On the other hand, we hear these numbers like 4%, and they're kind of guiding us to to this number. Is this data dependent, or are they going to 4% come hell or high water? 
Well, I think I think they're going to 4% hell or high water, if I had to put it into two boxes. They are data dependent, but that's why they're going to 4%. Steve, inflation is way too high. Inflation was way too high last year. Uh, the Fed had a lot of company, and I was part of it in getting the inflation forecast wrong. But, but job one, and really I think of the Fed right now, until inflation comes down a lot, the Fed's really a single mandate central bank. The chair made clear the Fed knows that if you squander price stability, it's very hard to achieve and sustain maximum employment. So I think that they, they are data dependent, and the data's inflation is too high, so I think they're going at least to, to 4%. All right, so, uh, so we're going to 4%. He knows better than anybody. And he said that the, right now the Fed has a single mandate. Remember I told you to have dual mandates, keep inflation low, and maximize employment. Well, he's saying that the maximize employment part of it, he's, they're not even looking at that right now. If the unemployment rate skyrockets here, they don't care because they're a single mandate central bank right now, which is to battle inflation. And the, uh, the scariest thing about this is that once they get their interest rates to where they're going to get them, they may have to keep them there for a long time, which means a protracted recession, protracted pain, protracted difficult housing market, difficult stock market, difficult bond market. Um, but a lot of people are saying that... Uh, by them going to 4%, the economy and the markets are going to get so bad that they're going to have to pivot and say, you know what, we can't do this anymore. I mean, we're just causing too much pain. So Central Bank, the Federal Reserve, uh, very powerful, questionable constitutionally. Uh, were they constitutionally, uh, 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 is it a constitutional um mandate that they they were able to be formed and take away the power of the treasury to create money well that's been debated for 100 years right now so far the courts have upheld it and why would they upheld it even though the constitution says only congress can do this uh is because they're saying well congress through an act of 1913 the federal reserve act transferred their responsibility to the fed and since they did it voluntarily it's legal, um, which is kind of uh, dubious at best. All right, let's take a break. 732-237-9626 is the call number. My name's Lou Skatignas. Don't go away. Are you currently retired or planning to retire in the next five years? Hey, Lou Skatigna here, certified financial planner, personal finance author, president of AFM Investments, and host of The Financial Position. Why not join me for a comprehensive financial review at my downtown Tom's River office? Banks are paying virtually nothing, and the stock market has become a risky casino. But there are ways to achieve reasonable returns without taking on big risks. Let me show you how. During our meeting, I will determine your net worth, find ways to maximize your income, and minimize your taxes. I'll review your estate plan and discuss strategies to protect your estate from nursing home costs. Managing your finances is more complicated than ever, but you don't have to go it alone. So make your no-obligation appointment today by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin & Company, member FINRA and SIPC. Registered advisory services through Fortitude Advisory Group. Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well, you need to contact my brother, Mark Skatigna. He's the broker 
manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on Route 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full-time job and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income that could be limitless, Mark could train you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatigna at Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. His number is 732-657-6200. That's 732-657-6200. Mark Skatigna, Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. Give him a call. You'll be happy you did. Americans have a deep respect for our military and a deep desire to show them the gratitude that they deserve. When those serving so far away receive a small gift box of personal care items and greetings, they know America is behind them. Always Supporting Our Military is a new nonprofit of retired volunteers that meets weekly to send packages to our troops overseas. They need your help to raise money for postage and for items. Each box of toiletries, snacks, and food takes about $18 to send, and they rely totally on donations. Will you help? They greatly appreciate any donations to the cost of postage or supplies like small bottles of shampoo, lotion, mints, and more. Please visit Always Supporting Our Military on Facebook, email PASRmilitary at yahoo.com or call 908-278-9561. That's 908-278-9561. Every little bit helps. Call the financial physician now at 732-237-9626. Here's Luz Katigna. All right, welcome back. Luz Katigna here, certified financial planner, your money doctor, each and every Sunday live on 92.7 WOBM here in New Jersey. Uh, if you're out of our listening zone, you want to listen to the show live, just go to thefinancialphysician.com. We have the Listen Live stream. Uh, so you could listen live if that's what you would like and you're you're not in our listening area. But we do have the podcast. If you're uh, just waking up now, you missed part of the show or uh, you're just stumbling upon us and you want to hear the whole program. It's two hours long. We talk money markets, politics. It's a radio show unlike anyone you're ever going to hear uh, because we talk about a lot of different subjects here. We do not censor ourselves. We do not hold back. Uh, we are not politically correct. And that ruffles a lot of feathers out there. Uh, but uh, too bad. Uh, we always get the, uh, this is, um, I think today, Paul, is the 22nd anniversary of the show. We started, uh, I believe it was September 11th, or it could be September 17th, I, I don't remember the exact date, but it was mid-September of 2000 was our first show. Uh, do you remember the Howell Broadcast Center they used to have? Yes. Yeah, yes, that's I why I started. I'll never forget that first day uh, in, the, in the AM station in Howell. Uh, then we went to Bayville. That's when you and I had our time together for uh, what, 10 years or so. I don't even know. Yeah. Uh, you're, the, you're the longest running producer of the show with me way back in the day. Uh, and uh, following Bob Levy's topic A, um, 11 to 12 for the longest time. Uh, then we moved to uh, 104 point, what is that, 104.1? Four. Four. Uh, that was... Um, um, uh, still uh, uh, WOBM Beach Radio. We were there for a number of years. And now we move over to uh, 92.7 uh, WOBM, the flag- flagship station here of Town Square Media on New Jersey. Sure. So we've been all over the place in all different time slots and everything else. But here we are, 22 years later, um, uh, doing a show. I guess now this is the longest running program on WOBM uh, that's still running anyway. Uh 
and uh, uh, we love doing it. We love coming in and, and every Sunday doing this. It's uh, obviously been a tradition for me. My Sundays have always been this program. Uh, and uh, for many of you listening over the years, uh, this has been part of your tradition as well. And uh, Breakfast with Lou is what you did on Sunday morning or listening to me on the way to, to church or out of church or whatever. Uh, but many of you miss part of the program, especially since we went two hours uh, about four or five years ago. Uh, you're going to church, you're sleeping, whatever it is. We're, we're, we start pretty early at 7 o'clock. Um, no worries. Just go to thefinancialphysician.com. Right after the show's over, uh, we have um, the podcast up of the full two-hour program. So you could... You could zip ahead, zip black, uh, just listen to the parts that you missed. Or if you just want to hear it again, you know, we talk some complicated things some on this program. Uh, maybe you want to listen to it again. Uh, just go to the thefinancialphysician.com uh, where we have the podcast, the number one podcast on Podomatic when it comes to finance. And uh, every week we have a new record number of downloads. Uh, and we appreciate that. We appreciate you sharing the show with people that you think can benefit by it. Because we bring you information here on this program that you're not going to get on mainstream media. You're not going to get it. right? And everything I say on this show, I have backup documents and articles and things. I don't make stuff up on this show. I'm just report. I'm a reporter. And I'm reporting things that uh, uh, other news organizations suppress. Censor. Omit. We don't have that governor here. We 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 don't we don't censor ourselves here on the financial physician. We talk about everything, and I give you my opinion on it. And that's why people have been listening for so long. That's why this show is still here twenty two years later. And now that we're on WOBM ninety two point seven, uh, we have a whole different audience now. Many of you on this station never even heard of me on the AM side. So you're getting the first taste of this program, and hopefully you'll be regular listeners to the program. But the easiest way to listen to the program is the podcast. It's there, available for weeks. Not that you're going to want to listen to this three weeks from now, but um, Sunday, obviously, we get the most downloads of the show. And then uh, during the week, uh, kind of peters out towards the end of the week, and then it pops up again on Sunday. So anyway, I don't care how you listen to our program. You listen live. You listen to the live stream. You listen to the podcast. Just make sure you don't miss a minute. Of the financial physician. Phone number here is 732-237-9626. We love when our listeners participate in the program, either with a financial question or a comment on uh, what's going on. Now, after um, three bad weeks in the stock market, we finally got a bounce this past week. Uh, The markets were very oversold and due for uh, a correction to the upside, and we got it. Uh, We had a few really good days late in the week in the market. The Dow for the week was up 2.66%. Uh, still down 11.5% for the year, but certainly uh, significant upward move last week. S&P 500 even better, up 3.65%, uh, still down 14.66% for the year. The NASDAQ up 4.14%, down 22.5% for the year. Now, one thing that was concerning this past week, and I was surprised the stock market went up in the face of what the bond market was doing. Uh, the 10-year U.S. Treasury, um, after hitting as high as uh, 3.35% on Thursday, uh, closed the week at 3.32, the highest close um, in many, many years uh, on a 10-year Treasury bond. If we look at the two-year Treasury bond, the yield's even higher, 3.56%. Then that's unusual. That's called an inverted yield curve, 
where shorter-term bonds yield more than longer-term bonds. During normal times, uh, the further out the maturity of the bond goes, the higher the yield is. And the yield curve goes up. So further out you go, the higher the interest rate is. The 30-year pays more than the 10-year. The five-year pays less than the 10-year, but pays more than the two-year. The two-year pays less, all the way down to treasury bills. But right now, we have what's called an inverted yield curve, where shorter-term debt of the U.S. government has a higher interest rate than the 10-year or anything else. Uh, And this is very concerning to markets, because when you have inverted yield curves, it is portending a severe recession, or at least a recession. Almost every recession was preceded by the inverted yield curve. We're in a recession. We've had the first two quarters of, of this year were negative. That's the definition of a recession. But again, the administration wants to redefine everything, so it's not really a recession to them. Don't believe your lying eyes, but, um, <clears throat> but it is. And it's going to get worse because the Fed, as I stated, is going to continue to raise interest rates. They raise interest rates to 4% between now and the end of the year. We are going to be in one of the worst recessions and housing collapses and uh, employment collapses this country's ever seen. Believe me when I say that. Trust me on this. We'll, We'll be talking about it in January and February. But again, they're hell bent on doing it. Um. Oil uh, is continuing to um, uh, decline, uh, which is good news. Uh, uh, Very good news, you know, for those who are energy dependent, which is all of us. Oil closed at 86.10 a barrel. Uh, Coming in today, I saw uh, gas at my local Wawa, 375, the lowest I've seen in months. Uh, So the trend in energy right now is looking pretty good, unless you live in Europe which that's a whole other issue we'll talk about. Uh, but um, but that's the only thing that we're starting to see deflate a little bit. Everything else is still inflating, uh, but energy. Gold and silver still stuck uh, in the mud. Uh, gold, seventeen eleven an ounce. Uh, silver, $18.84 an ounce. I mean, ridiculously, silver is the cheapest asset on the planet. If you're looking for something that's cheap, I'd go get some silver right now. Um, uh, 30-year mortgage rate, still stubbornly high. 5.89% was the average across America last uh, week. Uh, and, and think about it. We had sub-3% mortgages not long ago. Uh, and it's making a difference. Uh, housing is imploding right now. People are lowering prices. You know, we went from people overbidding the asking price substantially just in the spring. To now people lowering their prices, uh, trying to dump their homes. And we're going to see um, a major problem in the housing market. Um, we were talking about the Fed in the first segment, what the Federal Reserve is, how it works, is it constitutional and so forth. Uh, the Fed um, has what's called a balance sheet. I didn't explain that to you, but the balance sheet is when the Fed creates money and buys U.S. bonds or mortgage bonds or even junk bonds. Uh, they create the money. They buy the bond. Now they own it in their account. That's their balance sheet. And their balance sheet has gone straight up since COVID. 
It's gone straight up before that, you know, since 2007. Uh, but since COVID, it went up a huge amount to $8 trillion. So the Fed owns $8 trillion of U.S. Treasury bonds and mortgage bonds. That's their balance sheet. Now, one of our listeners emailed me last week and said, well, can't the Fed just erase it and just say, we're extinguishing these bonds? They created the money out of thin air. Why can't they just say, you know, we're just going to extinguish these bonds? That was a good question. I didn't know the answer to it. And I found the answer to it. Is that what the Fed does, when they buy these bonds and they have $8 trillion worth of them, they earn the interest from these bonds. But by law, they have to remit after their expenses to run the Fed, the balance back to the U.S. Treasury. So our debt, believe it or not, is zero interest that the Fed holds because they pay us back the interest that we pay them. It's kind of nuts, right? So that lowers our budget deficit. So if the Federal Reserve was to... um, extinguish all these bonds, we would lose like about 150 to $200 billion in revenue a year. So that's not going to happen. Now, but what happens when the Fed loses money? You know, they bought all these bonds when interest rates were low. Interest rates now have gone up a lot because of them. So they're destroying their own bond portfolio because as interest rates go up, existing bond prices go down. So, so what does that mean? Well, that means less money going to the federal government because their operating budget is being offset by losses in the bond market, and that will eliminate that revenue to the United States government. And we're moving into a period, uh, going into 2023, where uh, the Fed was likely to lose a substantial amount of money. And it would be the first operating law since 1915. So it's going to be very interesting to see this dynamic. But it's going to hurt the federal budget. That's at the, the ultimate thing. The Fed doesn't lose the money. We do. So the Fed just can't make $8 trillion in U.S. debt go away. Uh, there probably would be um, some legal ramifications to that, too. I don't know. So inflation is bad here. The actual inflation rate is close to 17%, as measured by the way we used to figure it out in 1980. John Williams at com that I subscribe to. I, I go to his site all the time. Uh, he calculates the inflation rate using the exact same parameters and rules that were used in 1980, and he says whatever the CPI is now, just double it. That's the true inflation rate. And most of us will agree that inflation is an 8%, especially when you see the prices of individual things like groceries and meat and cereal and oil and all that stuff. But if you think inflation is bad here, it's bad worldwide. And certain countries now are really having a problem with it. Inflation in the Southeast Asian nation of Laos 
spiked to 30.1% on an annual basis last month. August inflation was roughly 5 percentage points higher than the 25.6% inflation rate posted in July. In August, a year ago of 2021, the inflation rate was only 3.81%. Wow, that's a big increase in inflation, huh, in one year? Well, let's look at some of the components in the laos that's really causing this inflation. The cost of gas, electricity, water, and housing rose an average of 20.5%. Food and non-alcoholic beverages saw a 30.2% increase. The price of rice rose 35.2%. Now, rice is a big story here. Maybe not to us because we don't, we don't eat a lot of rice. But um, there's going to be rice shortages. Uh, this headline came out this week. Top rice exporter, India, curbs shipments. Uh, and adds fresh uh, to fresh food inflation fears. So I've been telling you since, God, the spring uh, about uh, the coming rice supply problem. We've had um, heat waves in India, which is the world's largest rice exporter. Uh, it wrecked havoc. The weather around the world is wrecking havoc on farmers in many, many countries. And depressing uh, crop output. Um, so India accounts for 40% of global rice shipments. And it's going to spark a wave of food inflation in the poorest nations importing the grain. So what they're saying here is that you can't export rice, and if you want to, there's going to be a 20% duty. And certain rices are, are just can't be exported at all. So you got, you know, all of Asia dependent on rice. That's what they eat. Um, there's going to be civil unrest. There's going to be famine. And in Laos, uh, this is before this happened. Um, rice prices um, were up 35.2%. Meats up 22.3%. Fruit prices jumped 31.1%. How about cooking oil? Cooking oil is up 122% year over year. Um, eggs, which were available for the equivalent of 256 per box in April, are now priced at uh, three fifty two. So Laos's economy is in trouble, and when your economy is in trouble and you have inflation like that, uh, you have civil unrest, and that's what we're going to start seeing around the world. People, when you can't feed their kids, they uh, you have that civil unrest. Now in Europe. Europe's going to be a big story this year. I mean, I, I think it's being underreported. I mean, Russia has, has pushed Europe into an inflationary depression and a currency collapse we've seen, especially against the dollar. It's just amazing what Europe has done to itself. Europe is, is, is committed 
suicide, energy suicide, by slapping sanctions against Russia when Russia provides virtually all their natural gas. Russia shut down Nord Stream 1, the pipeline that goes from Russia into Germany and Europe, and shut it down to zero. And Putin said this week that we're not turning it on again until you drop the sanctions. Now, Donald Trump warned about a lot of things, and a lot of things came true, regardless of what you feel about Donald Trump. He, uh, he predicted this. I'm going to bring you back to 2018. When Europe was negotiating with Russia, Donald Trump was at the U.N., and he warned Germany and Europe not to get in bed with the Russians. Germany will become totally dependent on Russian energy if it does not immediately change course. Here in the Western Hemisphere, we are committed to maintaining our independence from the encroachment of expansionist foreign powers. It has been the formal policy of our country since President Monroe that we reject the interference. All right, so, boy, wasn't he uh, um, the soothsayer? And you know what? I was watching a video yesterday while he was saying that. The German representatives at the U.N. were were giggling. They were laughing as if, yeah, who was this guy? What's he talking about? And what's happening now? Exactly what he predicted. He predicted a lot of things that are coming true, that if Biden was elected, what would happen? The border would be wide open. Inflation would come. Stock market would crash. Uh, He was right in a lot of things. Boy, I miss the boy. Maybe we'll see him again sometime. Uh, although there's a whole uh, full court press to destroy him and anybody who follows him. We'll talk about that after the break. Um, but Putin has put Europe in recession. People are going to have to decide in England and Germany and everything. I mean, their their electric bills and their gas bills are just astronomic. And people are saying, I'm going to have to decide whether I'm going to be heating or eating. Uh, and uh, Europe is moving into emerg- emergency um, policies, mandatory um, cutbacks in energy use. Well, you don't have to mandate it because people aren't going to be able to afford it. They're going to be cutting back themselves. But what you're going to see in Europe, this, the, the, you're going to see a terrible winter in Europe. Let's hope that it's not super cold. Because they, they don't have the fuel. What happens when you run out? Forget the price of it. People are lining up at coal mines to get a ton of coal. People are, are, are chopping wood. We're going back to the 1800s in Europe. You have wholesale industry shutting down. The second largest steel producer in the world, in Europe, is shutting operations because of the energy prices and the, and the cost of operating. And energy shortages. What's this going to do to the European economy, the European currency, European banking system? That's another story we're going to hear about. Some of the shakiest banks in the world are in Europe. Deutsche Bank, Commerce Bank. What's going to happen to these banks that were were in trouble prior to this? Watch Europe. 
Now, I'm going to go there and I'm going to do my little um, research this week so I could deduct the cost of my trip. And I'll report to you when I come back. Oh, by the way, programming note, next week we're going to have um, a pre-recorded show. We'll have some of the best of Lou from past shows, and um, I'll be pre-recording um, something, uh, some parts of that as well. So tune in. We're going to have a really good show next week. Uh, I, I, I've cherry-picked over the last year some of the best segments we've had on the program. Uh, all financial, all informational, and, and I think you'll like the show that we put together for you uh, next week. In two weeks from now, I'll be back live and I'll report to you what's going on in Europe. All right, top of the hour, 732-237-9626. If you want to join our program, my name is Lou Scatigna. See you after the break. It's time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions, because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. All right, welcome to Hour 2 of the Financial Physician. We get together each and every Sunday for a precious two hours of money talk, political talk, current events, things that affect your life. We talk about it all here on the Financial Physician the phone number here is 732-237-9626. If you want to be part of our program, you have a financial question, you have a comment on the show, love to have you join us on the program. That's 732-237-9626. If you're just tuning in, just getting up, just getting out of church, just turned us on on the parkway, coming down to the shore, uh, just um, if you missed the first hour, which you did, uh, then uh, go to thefinancialphysician.com where right after the show is over, the podcast is available at thefinancialphysician.com, and you can navigate the podcast. You can listen to the show in pieces over the course of the week. You could, you could um, forward the, the, the link uh, to people you think can benefit by the program. Love your emails, lou at thefinancialphysician.com, uh, lou at thefinancialphysician.com. I answer each and every email, although this coming week it'll be a little difficult because I have little problems with email when I'm out of the country or out of the office. So anyway, just leave an email. I may not be able to get back to you for a little while on it, but um, but just send it to me. I will return. Uh, when I return, I will answer everybody uh, that emailed me. I'll spend a day just returning emails. Uh, but feel free to send it during the week or, or next week as well. All right. So um, if you missed the first hour of the program, we were talking about, we talked about what the central bank is, what Federal Reserve is, and the power they have, and uh, inflation and money creation, and what they're going to do with interest rates and how what, how it affects the economy. And we also talked about the coming food crisis, which I've mentioned a lot on this program for many, many months because I do a lot of research on this. And uh, what's more important to our well-being than the ability to eat affordably, right? And we've all seen the the increase in grocery costs and everything like that. And and, uh, that's not going to get any better. It's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. I don't care what the Federal Reserve does with interest rates. It's not going to make a difference. And things are being um, worse than you're being told. 
global food production is going way down this year. And whatever is harvested this year is the food that's available next year. So we're talking about a problem for 2023. And we're looking at an unprecedented worldwide food crisis. You're going to have the affordability issue and you're going to have the availability issue. And, and, and the vast majority of the population here in the United States are not very alarmed by this. Uh, I mean, and, and they, they better open their eyes. Uh, Michael Schneider, he has a, a great website, theeconomiccollapseblog.com. Now, I've been following Michael Snyder for a really long time, and he's very good at, at statistics and, and, and things like that. And this week he put out, um, uh, what did he put out? A list of 33 things we know about the coming food crisis. <clears throat> all right, and I'm not going to read them all, but some of them are very pertinent. The hard red winter wheat crop in the United States this year was the smallest since 1963. But in 1963, there were only 182 million people living in this nation. Today, our population has grown to 329 million. It is being projected that the rice harvest in California will be half what it would be in a normal year. The U.S. tomato harvest will come in at just uh, 10.5 million tons in 2022. That's a million tons lower than last year. This will be the worst U.S. corn harvest in at least a decade. Year-to-date shipments of carrots in the United States are down 45%. Year-to-date shipments of sweet corn in the United States are down 20%. Sweet potatoes down 13%. Celery down 11%. You get you get the idea. Uh, almost three-fourths of all U.S. farmers say this year's drought is hurting their harvest. Three-quarters. Let's talk about meat. Thanks to the endless drought, total number of cattle in Oregon is down 41%. Cattle in New Mexico is down 43%. The number of cattle in Texas is down 50%. One beef producer in Oklahoma is now predicting that ground beef could eventually top $50 a pound. That's ridiculous. So you want a half a pound burger? Twenty five bucks <laughs> if you're making it at home. Oh my god! Uh, hope hopefully that doesn't come true. There's going to be a lot of people becoming vegetarians, but there's no ve- vegetables to eat because they're not producing them. Um, at least forty percent of the United States has been suffering from drought conditions for 101 consecutive weeks. That's unbelievable. This is the worst. Multi-year mega drought in the United States in 1,200 years. How do they know that? How do they know that? We've only we've only been in the, in the United States for, what, 300 years? So how do they know what happened 800 years ago? How do they know it's the worst drought in 1,200 years? You see how you can just make things up? I, I, <laughs> they don't know. We could have had a drought 1,000 years ago that was worse than the drought we have now. But nobody knows. There was nobody reporting it then at that point. And I, I just, stuff like that just drives me crazy. Europe is currently experiencing the worst drought that it has seen in 500 years. In some parts of Central Europe, river levels have fallen so low 
that hunger stones are being revealed for the first time in century. I know what hunger hunger stones. What is that? I don't even know. Uh, hunger stones. <laughs> uh, hunger uh, corn production in the entire EU could be down as much as one fifth in twenty twenty two. Uh, crop losses in France are up th- uh, up to 35%. Uh, in the United Kingdom, crop losses as high as 50%. Uh, Germany, up to 50% crop losses. Farmers in Italy have already lost up to 8% of their, 80% of their harvest. Agricultural production in Somalia will be down 80%. You see, see what's happening here? This is all over the world. Fertilizer prices have tripled since 2021. If you can get them. One payment company is reporting that the number of Americans using their app to take out short-term loans for groceries has risen by 95%. The World Health Organization is telling us that millions of people in Africa are now potentially facing a very real possibility of starving to death. According to the World Food Program, part of the United Nations, 828 million people around the world go to bed hungry each night. And needless to say, that number will be much higher. That's sad. And uh, UN Secretary General uh, Guterres uh, publicly stated he believes there likely to be multiple famines in 2023. And as global food supplies get tight, civil unrest is going to rise. Food's going to be a big story. Big story. Here's another headline. U.N. food official warns fertilizer affordability crisis could slash global grain production by 40%. I mean, this is serious stuff. You got supply chain problems due to the war in Ukraine. You got crop failures worldwide due to the extreme weather we're dealing with. Reduced fertilizer um, availability and affordability, another big problem. Talk about a perfect storm. It's um, one thing after the other. You ever look at this and say, what's going on here? We have pandemics. We have energy crisis. We have inflation and hyperinflation in energy in some parts of the world. We got a food crisis coming. We got crop failures. We got drought. We got Biden in the White House. We got a senile geriatric patient who uh, spends 40% of his time on vacation or home or sleeping. We have uh, the political situation around the world, and especially here in the United States, devolving. Some are even predicting civil war in the United States. The Biden administration and Biden himself is demonizing Republicans as a threat to democracy. Pretty scary stuff. Is this random, though? Is this all happening just by coincidence, all at the same time? The threat of nuclear war war in Europe, uh, the threat of uh, China going into Taiwan, which is going to happen. Uh, It's like one thing after the other. The next thing I expect is an asteroid. 
And it seems like some power is coordinating all this. I'm, I'm sorry. I just can't accept that all this stuff, and I'm probably missing a bunch, is happening coincidentally all at the same time. Freedoms are being taken away. We had draconian lockdowns around the world. There's so many things that are happening to us, the people of this world. Now, some are saying that it's the end times. This is God. Punishing us a la Noah's time for our sinful, immoral behavior. Others are stating it's the the New World Order, the World Economic Forum, the Klaus Schwab's of the world uh, that are doing all this to put us under their thumb and uh, their authoritarian worldwide government. It's possible. But I, I go with a third. I go with a third possibility. And I don't think it's too far-fetched. Extraterrestrials are ready to take over the world. They prepared it for a long, long time, and now they're ready to do away with us as the world is ready for their entry. Don't think, oh, Lou's lost it now, all right? I'm telling you, it's possible. I'm not saying it's true. But it wouldn't surprise me. I'm a big believer in extraterrestrials. I'm not that arrogant to believe that we Earthlings are the only uh, species in the... um, in the universe. I, I don't believe that. I mean, look, we see UFOs all the time. I mean, even the United States government has admitted that we have videos and they're only telling us a little bit about it. So don't tell me it's not possible. There's been enough movies made of it and stuff. Predictive programming, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but if I was, you know, going to take over a, a planet. That's uh, full of 7 billion creatures that, you know, I can't commingle with. We're going to eliminate them. And if we're so far advanced, we could uh, affect the climate uh, and destroy their food supplies. We could, uh, through our, um, our lackeys, human beings that are working for us, thinking that they'll be saved afterwards, which they won't. We'll kill them after we're done with them. Uh, is uh, orchestrating the pandemics to try to kill people, uh, the vaccines to try to kill people. I don't know. Possibility. My wife's going to say, what are you talking about UFOs for? You're a nut. Anyway, our phone number here is 732-237-9626. Let's go to Diane and Wall. Diane, how are you? Hi, Lou. Before I ask my question, I want to say I hope you have a great vacation because you deserve it. You help so many people. Oh, I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a great vacation. You know what? My goal on this vacation is to gain ten pounds. <laughs> if I if I don't come back ten pounds heavier, I didn't do it right. You know what I mean? I'm gonna eat everything. I'm gonna eat pizza. I'm gonna eat pasta. I'm gonna drink wine. Uh, I'm, I'm going. It's all about the food for me. I think I've been to Italy eight times, so I, you know I've seen the Coliseum, I've seen the Vatican a number of times, I've been to Venice seven times. So uh, I'm, this is an eating trip for me. And let me tell you, people tell you the food in Italy is spectacular. I'll attest to that. It's fantastic from the gelato to everything. And uh, I am so looking forward to two weeks of eating uh, unbridled eating. I'm so happy. Well, what would you say is the difference between northern and southern people and cuisine? 
In Italy? Well, that's one thing about Italy is that it is a very regional. Uh, the food of Italy is extremely regional, and, and, and it changes sometimes town to town. But, you know, the north tends to be less red tomato sauce kind of stuff, more more cheese, more um, more butter, and so forth and so on. You go further south, you got more of the spicy, you got more of the, the red sauce, uh, you have more of the... Um, um, Olive oil and stuff like that. So uh, that's the difference, uh, 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 basically. If you want to talk about a basic difference between the two, that's basically it. Uh, they're, they're almost like two totally different cuisines, uh, the North and the South. And I like both. Uh, I really like both. So I, I am not partial uh, to one or the other. Uh, but you'll find that one of the places I'm looking forward to going to is Bologna. Uh, Bologna and Emilia Romano is the breadbasket of um, of Italy, I've never been there. Uh, uh, and there is where they've uh, developed uh, Parmesan cheese, Parmesan Reggiano. We're going to go to see how that's made. We're going to see all those wheels of cheese. Uh, we're going to go to Modena, which is right outside of Bologna, uh, to try and buy, uh, taste and buy uh, really good balsamic vinegar. That They're known for that. In Parma, you got the prosciutto. That's where they make the Parma ham. That's in the region. Uh, you have in Bologna, they're known for obviously Bolognese sauce, which is their meat ragu, um, which I make myself, so I'm kind of uh, interested in comparing. Uh, tortellini, lasagna, ravioli, all that stuff was developed in that region, and they're masters at it. So, uh, mortadella, cheese, uh, um, cold cuts and stuff, ham, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, I'm looking forward from a, a culinary perspective uh, to, uh, uh, to go there as well. And then we end up in Venice, which is more fish and stuff like that. So anyway, that's what, that's going to be my Italian trip. And I'll report to you when I get back how good. Hopefully there'll be no incidences. I tend to do have an incident every time I travel Italy. I lose something, uh, something stolen from me. Uh, uh, I lost an iPad. I've lost passports. Uh, but I think uh, we're going to be very diligent uh, when we're there. Hopefully there'll be no incidences. Hopefully all the travel will be smooth. Uh, and uh, we'll come back with a, a full belly, a couple more pounds on us, and uh, I'll let you know what, what my research of Europe when I'm there about the, the, the shortages. Matter of fact, one of the issues, one of the things I've read about due to weather is that the Po River, which is the, the main river that goes through Emilio Romano, uh, has gone down so low that there's major concern um, about uh, the ability to irrigate crops and all that kind of stuff. There's a really bad situation, especially in northern Italy with drought and whatnot. And uh, uh, we'll see what it looks like up there when we go. Um, anyway, that's that's. Uh, so, so yes, thank you for. Uh, I will have a, hopefully a good yes. trip. Now for my question, I want to propose to you that Donald Trump is possibly a good alien. Because nobody could assassinate him. He's invincible. He's always right. And I went to New York City. I had the most incredible balsamic vinegar. Guess how much they wanted for a bottle? A hundred dollars. Uh, in New York City? Uh, wow. Uh, well, it must have been imported from Modena. Uh, if it's that expensive, it must have been the good stuff from there. So, all right. So, Donald Trump is the good alien. Uh, I could see that. Uh, he seems pretty invincible, doesn't he? Uh, they've tried everything they can to destroy the man. Uh, I believe there has been a number of assassination attempts that haven't been reported either. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, may, maybe he is one of the good aliens. Who knows? All right, Diane, thanks for calling. Have a, have a, have a good uh, day. Bye. All right. Uh, we were talking about food shortages coming. Um, here's a headline, scary headline. 
Food banks all over the U.S. are overwhelmed as the cost of living pushes more people into poverty. What's happening in this country, people, is sad. It's sad. What's happening to our, our senior citizens who are on fixed incomes? Uh, we're having more and more people falling into poverty. And I, what I'm concerned about is the older people on fixed incomes who only live on Social Security. Cost of living adjustments don't keep up with inflation. We all know that. Anyway, the food lines are back and they're starting to get really long. And this wasn't supposed to happen. We're, we're told that unemployment is very low, even though it's not actually true. We're also told that the inflation rate is still only in single digits. That's not true either. I told you earlier, double it. But all over the country, we're seeing middle-class Americans are getting absolutely eviscerated due to the cost of living crisis. And a number of them are turning to food banks, people who have jobs, people who've never gone to a food bank before. And we're seeing very long lines at food banks in major cities coast to coast. We're also seeing uh, long lines in rural areas like Montana. We're seeing um, less donations to food banks. People have less money. They're struggling. You can't donate to a food bank when you're on the line for the food bank. Our numbers have definitely been increasing, Ann Bomer, co-manager of the Columbia Falls Food Bank, said. There's been an influx of people and a shortage of supplies. The Columbia Falls Food Bank is now overwhelmed by the level of demand that it's experiencing. And unfortunately, the same thing can be said for countless other food banks across the country. So they're understocked and overwhelmed with people that want help. And I tell you, we should never, ever look down on people who need to use a food bank. Never look down on them. There by the grace of God go you. And a lot of people, like I said, for the first time are using food banks. Never thought they'd have to do it. Now people are lining up in cars for miles sometimes. They're coming in early. Tomasina John was among hundreds of families lined up in several lanes of cars that went around the block one recent day outside St. Mary's Food Bank in Phoenix. John said her family had never visited a food bank before because her husband had easily supported her and their four children with his construction work. But it's really impossible to get by now without some help, she said. Who traveled with a neighbor to share gas costs as they idled in the scorching deserts. The prices are way too high. Now, sadly, uh, due to economic conditions, um, it's forced dozens of food banks all around the country to either shut down or reduce services at a time when they're needed the most. Right here in New Jersey, New Jersey Angels Community Outreach announced temporary closure due to uh, supply shortages. Uh, Utah's Tool Food Pantry canceled an important food drive because of staffing and logistical issues. Among food banks that that remain open, some are putting limitations on how often people can visit and how much food they can get. But let's send $50 billion to Ukraine. 
to encourage the war. I mean, we'll talk about that in a second. How come there's been no calls for negotiations for peace in Ukraine? Isn't that usually what we do? Isn't that usually what the West does when there's a war? Try to find a way to stop it. Try to find some kind of negotiated peace. There's no calls for that. But we're sending $40, $50 billion, and it just seems to be a blank check. Without any safeguards to where this money's going, it's going to one of the most corrupt countries in the world, Ukraine. How about sending $50 billion to food banks so they can feed Americans in what's going to be the worst food crisis in history? Well, you can't kill the population, and if you keep feeding them, they're not going to die. And if food banks are under such stress right now, the economy's only going to get worse. Inflation's only going to get worse. Uh, the food shortages are only going to get worse. What's it going to look like a year from now? And we're not the only country dealing with. In the UK, food banks are running out of supplies amid an overwhelming surge of new people falling into hardship during the cost of living crisis, with some charities forced to turn away families in need. And as I mentioned earlier, this unprecedented energy crisis uh, in Europe has the the whole European Union on the verge of a full-blown economic collapse, including the banking system. And as I said, people are saying, I have to choose between eating and heating. Many in the UK now are skipping meals on a regular basis. Four out of ten people on universal credit, that's like uh, our food stamp kind of thing, have admitted to missing meals over the summer in order to keep up with rising costs. 41% of people on benefits admitted to skipping meals over the past three months. 38% claim to have had just one meal or gone a whole day without eating because they couldn't afford to buy enough food. And again, this is just the beginning. And this nightmare is not going to be isolated to Europe. There's going to be widespread food shortages all across the globe. Oh, boy. All right, let's take a break. Bottom of the hour, 732-237-9626 is the call number if you want to join our program. My name is Lou Skatigna. You're listening to The Financial Physician. Don't go away. Are you currently retired or planning to retire in the next five years? Hey, Lou Scatigna here, certified financial planner, personal finance author, president of AFM Investments, and host of The Financial Position. Why not join me for a comprehensive financial review at my downtown Tom's River office? Banks are paying virtually nothing, and the stock market has become a risky casino. But there are ways to achieve reasonable returns without taking on big risks. Let me show you how. During our meeting, I will determine your net worth, find ways to maximize your income, and minimize your taxes. I'll review your estate plan and discuss strategies to protect your estate from nursing home costs. Managing your finances is more complicated than ever, but you don't have to go it alone. So make your no-obligation appointment today by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin and Company, member FINRA and SIPC. Registered advisory services through Fortitude Advisory Group. Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well, you need to contact my brother, Mark Skatigna. He's the broker manager 
manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on Route 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full-time job and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income that could be limitless, Mark could train you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatigna at Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. His number is 732-657-6200. That's 732-657-6200. Mark Skatigna, Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. Give him a call. You'll be happy you did. Americans have a deep respect for our military and a deep desire to show them the gratitude that they deserve. When those serving so far away receive a small gift box of personal care items and greetings, they know America is behind them. Always Supporting Our Military is a new nonprofit of retired volunteers that meets weekly to send packages to our troops overseas. They need your help to raise money for postage and for items. Each box of toiletries, snacks, and food takes about $18 to send, and they rely totally on donations. Will you help? They greatly appreciate any donations to the cost of postage or supplies like small bottles of shampoo, lotion, mints, and more. Please visit Always Supporting Our Military on Facebook. Email PASRMilitary at yahoo.com or call 908-278-9561. That's 908-278-9561. Every little bit helps. Call the financial physician now at 732-237-9626. Here's Luz Katigna. All right, we're in the home stretch. Last half hour of our two-hour program, The Financial Physician. If you missed any of it, no problem. Just go to thefinancialphysician.com where we have the podcast. It'll be up shortly after the show's over. Um, uh, that's thefinancialphysician.com. Love your emails, Lou, at thefinancialphysician.com. I answer each and every one when I get back from a vacation. Now, a couple of weeks ago, um, Joe Biden gave a speech as the demon from hell in the red uh, the background with the, the Marines behind him, basically calling half the country an extremely violent threat, uh, a threat to the soul of America, a threat to democracy. And uh, the feedback from that was universally awful. Nobody's ever heard such a divisive speech, and uh, uh, he's pushing the people. He's trying to. Inc- Most people think that um, the purpose of that speech is to incite violence, and you know the um, the Democrats know that they're very unpopular. They know that if we have a, a free or fair election, which is always questionable these days, that they're going to get destroyed in November, two months from now. So the strategy seems to be not to talk about how are you going to improve inflation, how are you going to make people's lives better, uh, how are we going to deal with the border crisis, uh, none of that. Uh, it's to demonize Republicans and especially anybody who follows Trump. So that's the strategy, and that's why Joe Biden was given his marching orders a couple of weeks ago to basically vilify MAGA Republicans. MAGA, that's the word for Nazi now, you know. So now, through all their outlets and everything, it's over and over again, MAGA Republicans, MAGA Republicans, you know, they know how to focus group this stuff. And they have the the media behind them to, to amplify it every day. So you would think that when people came out, 
uh, really believe that, that that this this is a horrible thing what he did, that he would try to back away from it a little bit. But he came out this week again and doubled down. We're not going to let anyone or anything tear America apart. I'm going to close with this. We're at a serious moment in this nation's history. And again, use the word three times, that's not hyperbole. We're literally in a battle for America's soul. I know I've been saying it for a year and a half, but I mean it. Extreme MAGA Republicans just don't threaten our personal economic rights. They embrace political violence. Think about it. They refuse to accept the will of the people. They threaten our very democracy. That's not hyperbole. All right, so you can see he's doubling down there. That was Thursday. Now, this is disturbing on so many levels and, 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 and such a lie on so many levels. Where does MAGA Republicans embrace political violence? I, 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 didn't, I don't know anybody. I, I'm a MAGA Republican. I don't embrace political violence. And where does the violence come from? Black Lives Matter riots, Antifa, that was the violence. But MAGA Republicans embrace political violence. I, didn't, I don't know one instance of that. And Republicans threatened the soul of the nation. And as I said, soul of the nation. For the Democrats, even use the word soul, godlike, your godlike essence, uh, uh, is ridiculous. The party of abortion, uh, the soul of the nation, the party of gender issues. They talk about soul of the nation. Uh, they're a threat to the soul of the nation. And that's probably why God is smiting us. Now, of course, a Democrat doesn't give a speech without, you know, going after the Second Amendment because you got to understand they can't take you over if you're armed. And that's the one thing Americans had that Australians didn't have. Uh, Australians' guns were taken away, and then the government was able to be tyrannical against them. And remember, the Second Amendment uh, states clearly that the reason why you have the right to bear arms is to protect yourself against the tyrannical government. Not to protect you against uh, a mugger. Although that comes in handy too. So, of course, in the same speech, um, he's going after assault weapons. I signed the first significant new gun safety law in nearly 30 years. But I want to make it clear to you. I'm not stopping here. I'm determined to ban assault weapons. I did it once before, and we're going to do it again. When did he ban assault weapons before? <laughs> In his senile mind, he must have thought he did it sometime before. Uh, what is an assault weapon, Paul? Isn't any gun an assault weapon? Can't you assault anybody with a pistol? I would think so. Uh, 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 a knife is an assault weapon. Uh, uh, but any gun is an assault weapon. All right. So you can use that term uh, universally for any gun. Uh, I'm pretty sure I could assault you with my pistol. All right. Uh, could be assaulted with a pistol, uh, <laughs> a pencil. <laughs> I guess that's an assault <laughs> weapon too. That's right. That's right. Um, so, um, 
So again, this is what they do. So divisive, so mean. You could you could see the face that he has on when he's doing this. But at least somebody was smart enough not to light him up like the demon from hell, like the previous speech. Is this going to continue every time he speaks now for the next two years, labeling his political opposition as a threat to democracy? Is this going to be their their politics? To go hard after anybody who's Republican? Well, they already have with the censorship and all the stuff on tech and media. They've raided Trump's house unprecedented. And then listen to this. Steve Bannon is reporting that 35 to 50 Trump allies had their homes raided by the FBI on Thursday. Did you hear about this? It's not being reported by the news. But 35 senior members uh, of the Trump team, uh, even though they were they were cooperating with uh, the FBI, they have attorneys and everything else. Well, uh, the jackbooted Gestapo showed up at their door, 35 different, and took documents related to virtually everything. This has never happened in American history. This evil regime has gone rogue. I'm telling you, this is the Gestapo. Uh The subpoenas are intentionally broad. They're from the Capitol Siege section of the United States Department of Justice. This is is January 6th again. They believe that they could use this January 6th to take down the majority of the Republican Party. They asked for broad categories of documents. They asked for all communications dating from a month before the election to two months after the election. They asked for all communications regarding dozens of people and the categories are alternative alternate electors, fundraising around irregularities around the election, and also a rally that happened before January 6th situation at the Capitol. Now, basically, all of this activity is not at all, if not all of it, is protected by the First Amendment. And, of course, the Justice Department is telling reporters about these search warrants before they're executed. This is outrageous. This is outrageous behavior by the Department of Justice. This is outrageous. So, anyway. And then, uh, of course, uh, New York's uh, corrupt justice system um, um, is charging Steve Bannon with crimes related to uh, this charity that built the wall. He was pardoned by Trump about it, um, but still the state's going after him. Who's going after him? Letitia James, the radical liberal Democrat uh, attorney in New York, district attorney, uh, New York attorney general, Letitia James, and Manhattan district attorney Alvin Bragg. Who's this Alvin Bragg? Alvin Bragg's the guy who's letting all these criminals out, murderers and everything, with no bail. This is political targeting between raiding Trump, raiding his 35 of his inner circle, going after Steve Bannon. It's crazy. This is something that happens in Soviet Union, China. Uh, A poll of American voters has found that close to 57 percent believe that Biden's battle for the soul of the nation speech during which he was flanked by Marines, constituted a dangerous escalation in rhetoric purposely designed to incite conflict. So 89.1% of Republicans said that. 62.4% of independents believe that. 
What percent of Democrats do you think believe that 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 was incendiary, designed to incite violence? Oh, only 18.7. It's fine with them. There's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing anti-American about calling out your enemies. Because we're ruthless. It's all about power. We don't care. Damn the Constitution. Damn the values of the country. Damn peace and stability in America. It doesn't matter to them. Well, thankfully, we have uh, Kamala Harris um, in the wings because, let's face it, Biden's not going to make it another two years. I mean, he's not. Uh, His approval rating, they say, is going up now. It's 44%. Yeah, right. Sure it is. Uh, as we get close to the election, you're going to start hearing all these polls. It happens all the time. Biden approval rating magically goes up, and uh, all these races narrowly close and get very, very tight. And now when we do the massive fraud, see, the polls said it was tightening up anyway. So anyway, Kamala Harris, I don't know, she's at some space thing. She's a space cadet. I guess that's where she should be in NASA doing something. You want to talk about a person who just can't put together um, uh, a sentence, a paragraph, and she's talking about work. It's going to work. Today, the business of our work is for the council to report on the work that has occurred since our last meeting across these areas. We will today also discuss the work yet ahead, the work we must still do to continue to move forward. All right, we got a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work going on. And she's talking about space or whatever. Who knows what she's talking about? The phrase word salad has been invented just for her. It's incredible. These are people running our country. I mean, it really is. I meant to play this last week. This is kind of funny. Uh, Biden's speech two weeks ago, the demon from hell speech, <laughs> somebody sped it up. And tell me what it sounds like. <laughs> I think that's pretty funny. <laughs> pretty funny. Oh, God. People on the internet are funny. They, they, it's amazing how quickly they come up with these memes and everything. It's just on both sides. It's kind of funny. Oh, you got to have fun with this stuff, I guess. Uh, it's crazy. Crazy. Anyway, uh, let's see. Where do we want to go here? All right. So um, a week after Governor Newsom in California, um, mandated that uh, what by uh, 2030 uh, there'll be no combustible engine car sales in California. All right. That's like seven years away, by the way. It's not that far off. A week after, the power grid in California is collapsing, and they tell everybody to avoid charging your cars between the hours of four and nine. Can you imagine that? It's incredible. Only in California. 
Oh, no, no, don't charge your cars. So what are a lot of people doing? They're going out and buying gas generators to charge their cars. That, that makes a lot of sense. Now, if the power grid in California is collapsing now, with a very small percentage of electric cars out there, what's it going to be when every car in, in California is electric? Nobody's going to be able to move anywhere or go anywhere because they won't be able to charge their cars unless they, they get electronic generated. Can't make this stuff up. What about all these electric batteries, these big lithium batteries? Um, more than 6 million EV battery packs will end up as scrap between now and 2030. And the recycling and reuse industries are racing to keep up. So it's not easy to recycle a lithium battery. And it's not easy to dispose of them because they're very dangerous. They could catch fire at any time. And by the way, if we decide to go electric car, China dominates the world battery production for EVs. 80% of batteries are made in China. Oh, sure. Okay. Let's just do just like the Europeans do. Let's get all our energy from Russia and then put sanctions on them. So now we're going to get all of our batteries for our our mobility here in the United States, including trucking and everything else, from China. And then what are we going to do with all these batteries when it's time to dispose of them? Uh, It's great. You want to talk about environmental disaster? Isn't that what they're trying to do, save the environment? So what will happen to all these old batteries? Um, So what are you going to do with all these batteries? And if just one catches fire, all of them do. Tucked away in the sprawling Chicago suburbs is the town of Morris, Illinois, Around midday, June 29, 2021, the fire department received a call that a warehouse fire had broken out in a structure that many residents assumed was just an abandoned building. Well, there was 200,000 pounds of batteries in the building, most of which were lithium. And they're not easy to put out. A lithium fire. You just can't take water on it. Amazing. All right, let's see. Going in. Oh, here's a heartwarming story. At least it warms my heart. Oberlin College will pay $36.6 million to a bakery the school falsely accused of racism back in 2016. You remember this story in Oberlin County? What happened was a black student was caught shoplifting in Gibson's Bakery. The police were called... The guy was arrested or whatever. But the school came out and said it was racist what the back what the bakery did. The 2016 dispute with Gibson's Bakery resulted in a years-long legal fight and resonated beyond the small college town in Ohio, turned it into a bitter national debate over criminal justice, race, free speech, and whether the college had failed to hold students to account. So this comes uh, after the Ohio Supreme Court declined to hear the college appeal of a lower ruling. 
Well, such a, such a large amount of money. I mean, good for Gibson's Bakery. These people got $36.6 million. Hopefully, um, such a large amount of money uh, will make institutions around the country take notice and stop this political correctness, wokeism. Um, very interesting and heartwarming. Maybe they'll think twice. They won't because they can't help themselves. Uh, oh, another vaccine headline. Uh, a highly fit doctor from Scotland suffered a heart attack while swimming in preparation for a triathlon. The guy's a triathlon athlete. Dies of a heart attack. I read 10 of those this week. But nobody will say why, you know, what's there. Yeshiva University in New York City will not have to recognize the LGBT student club. At least not for the time being, according to an emergency ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court. Issued late on September 9th, temporarily blocking a lower court order forcing such recognition. Founded in 1897, the Orthodox Jewish University describes itself in court documents as the world's premier Torah-based institution of higher education. The new ruling came as the high court has become increasingly protective of constitutionally guaranteed religious rights in recent years. Now, surprisingly, this order was issued by Justice Sonia Sotomayor, um, who oversees applications from New York and other states within the Second Circuit of U.S. Court of Appeals. Uh, pretty surprised that she, she took this action. Uh, Rabbi Ari Berman, president of Yeshiva University, hailed the new ruling. We are pleased with Justice Sotomayor's ruling that protects our religious liberty and identity as a leading faith-based academic institution. All right, that's good news for them. I'm not forced to... Uh, um, it's a religious college, for God's sakes. Uh, progressive prosecutors and politicians have been enforcing radical criminal justice policies across the country, often with little concern for real-world r- effects on the community. The latest is a no-cash-bail policy that will take effect in the new year for those charged with second-degree murder in the state of Illinois. So if you got second-degree murder, aggravated battery... Arson in the state of Illinois, there's no bail for you. You, you. you just go right out in the street. The Safety Act, see what I mean about these acts? They're the opposite of everything they say. S-A-F-E-T, the Safety Act ends cash bail and includes 12 non-detainable offenses. Second-degree murder. <laughs> you could be charged with second-degree murder and be left loose on the street. Aggravated battery. You know what that means? Aggravated battery. You're beating somebody to kill them. Arson. Drug-induced homicide. Kidnapping. You can kidnap somebody right back on the street. Burglary, robbery, intimidation. Aggravated uh, DUI. That means you probably killed somebody. Aggravated fleeing and eluding. So you could aggravate, it must be really bad to flee and elude a cop at 100 miles an hour in a car, endangering the population, not right back on the street, any drug offense, or threatening a public official. 
Well, we saw that. The guy that in New York City, in New York, that threatened the, uh, what's his name, was running for governor, tried to assassinate him, was put right back on the street. This is crazy. The Safety Act. Who can be arrested in Illinois? Uh, somebody trespassing on private property can be fined by police but not removed. <clears throat> so if someone's trespassing in your house, the police can't remove them. I mean, <laughs> this is crazy. Illinois uh, police, uh, police and judges have their hands tied behind their backs. This undoubtedly would transfer... Transform the county into a criminal enterprise. No cash bail for 12 very, very aggressive and uh, offensives. More people are going to leave this Illinois. There's no wonder people are um, arming up against violent crime when you have these kind of these kind of policies. Policies. Uh, let's see here. Well, here's an interesting headline. You know, we talked earlier about the Federal Reserve and how they control a lot of things, including mortgage rates and housing prices and everything else. Headline, U.S. mortgage lenders are starting to go broke. The U.S. mortgage industry is seeing the first its first lenders go out of business after a sudden spike in lending rates. And the wave of failures that that's coming could be worse since the housing bubble burst about 15 years ago. Market watches expect a string of bankruptcies broad enough to trigger a spike in layoffs in the industry that employs hundreds of thousands of workers and potentially an increase in some lending rates. More of the businesses are now controlled by independent lenders. With mortgage volumes plunging this year, many are struggling to stay afloat. Non-banks are poorly capitalized. When the mortgage market tanks, they're in trouble. So, you know, it used to be banks did most of the mortgages. The, the, the share of banks doing mortgages have gone down steadily as these independent lenders have, have stepped in. But the banks have deep pockets. They could withstand a downturn in business. Well, these these banks can't. Two-thirds of all mortgages came from non-bank lenders last year. And, and they got to finance these loans. So a lot of these, when interest rates go up, you know, these lenders uh, who are holding, you know, all these mortgages, uh, uh, they have a bankruptcy problem. Volume shrinks. Uh, they still have to finance all these loans for the money that they borrowed to fund these mortgages. So here we are, you know, we're looking at 5.89% for a 30-year 30 30 year mortgage. Uh, and it's having its effect in housing, in mortgage lending, and a lot of under in, a lot of other industries that feed it. And that's why housing is so important because you have high mortgage rates. What happens is people stop buying homes; they can't afford them, or they 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 afford less homes. Uh, new construction slows down. If I'm a builder, do I want to invest a lot of money in building a, a development if I don't know I could sell them? That means um, uh, companies that provide lumber, roofing shingles, uh, their business goes down. Furniture stores, 
furniture manufacturers that furnish these homes, carpet makers. You see how it just keeps going down the chain. That's why housing is so important. And that's why, you know, the Federal Reserve with its interest rates policy affects housing and affects the entire economy because housing affects so many, so many other things. Uh, That's why you want to keep an eye on the Federal Reserve. All right, that's it. Our two hours go so fast here on The Financial Physician. I call it the fastest two hours of Financial Talk Radio. If you missed any of the program, go to thefinancialphysician.com, where shortly after the program we'll have the podcast of the program available to you. You can listen to the part you missed. Love your emails, lou at thefinancialphysician.com. You want to come in for a no-obligation financial review and consultation with me, 732-905-8100 is the number. Join me next Sunday and every Sunday for the next edition of The Financial Physician.